10 months we left here with uh, eager anticipation that we would be kings of the world and rule Seattle in the church. And that's supposed to be funny. I guess it wasn't. Um, we thought everything would come together. And, you know, it, it didn't work out the way we planned, but God had his way with us. And he truly answered our prayers for uh, preparation and, and deliverance for um, a number of things that we'll be unpacking for the rest of our lives. And I'm sure it's not the, uh, the end of the preparation or training but it was, uh, it was truly what God wanted. And I, I wasn't planning on starting like this. Um, but while we were worshiping, I was just overwhelmed with the thought he has overcome. Um, I felt like he wanted me to share how he has done just that in my own life. Uh, just at least in the, the recent past in, in Seattle. Um, all my life, I'd struggled with nightmares. Um, struggled with... Uh, quite frankly, demonic oppression. Um, hearing and seeing things in my dreams and just in my daily walk that were absolute lies. Having no idea what to do with them. Um, hearing lies like, you are condemned no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, you will not make it, you will fail. You are a failure. I would hear things contrary to the mind of Christ all the time. Um, there would be seasons where it would go away. It's not like my life was just another utter wreck, but there was a definite overwhelming sense in which I lived under a cloud of depression and fear that I could not shake, no matter how, how much I cried out to God, God, save me from this, save me from these lies. It wouldn't happen. Nothing totally brought relief until we went to Seattle, and we were part of a church where they have a deliverance ministry in which it's not much different than ones that are offered here, but what was key and what really changed my mind and my heart and truly has set me free, and I actually am a person who smiles now, which is, if you've known me before, and you, I'm probably not smiling now compared to most of y'all, but to me, I'm smiling really big right now. So, but he set me free with this one simple fact. When you choose to listen to the lies of the enemy, and don't replace them with the truth of God. You will live enslaved and captive to those lies. It's that simple. And that is where I was. And I was on the verge of suicide many times. I was on the verge of choosing all number of other gods. And I, it wasn't until I decided that the Word of God was going to stand fast for my soul and was going to stand in the place of all those things. I say all that simply because I know that some of you are in the same position. Some of you hear lies that are not truth. They are contrary to the mind of Christ. And I want you to know that you can be set free completely. If you hear anything contrary to the mind of Christ, I'd like to pray right now for you. And if that is you, if you hear something that is against the goodness and kindness and loving favor of our Lord, I want, I want you to be free from that, and I want to pray over you for that. So if you would, while I'm praying, just stand up or raise your hand or squeeze your neighbor's arm and say, that's me, in some way, and say, I want to be free. So let's pray. Father, I ask right now that any in this room that are captive to the lies of the enemy, that they would be set free by the power 
of the blood of Jesus, that they would no longer be bound to the lies of the enemy, but that they would see clearly the cross, that it is enough, and that your word is life, that in your presence is fullness of joy. God, if there are any in here now who are captive, I proclaim freedom to you in the name of Jesus Christ. You are free. Now take your freedom and run with it. No longer listen to the lies, but choose the truth. Carry the sword and the shield of faith with which you will extinguish the arrows of the enemy and run with perseverance. And you will be free. And this is the message we proclaim with our lives, Father. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. That was uh, not planned. So, um, yeah, open up your Bibles to Matthew 7. Seven. Pastor David has been in um, the uh, the Gospel Matthew for a while now. Last week he spoke on judgment. Uh, do not judge others, lest you be judged. And this week we're stepping into the next section. It says this: Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. These, uh, these passages, just like last week, tend to be ones that people abuse um, and use in ways that are unhelpful. Like the, the judgment passage, do not judge. So people walk around and say, you can't judge me. And try to get rid of all discernment. And it's the same for here. There's some, there's some ways in which we can misuse and misunderstand these truths. There are layers to the Scripture here that if we press into them through the layers, we'll begin to see that there, there are things that we ask for that are just simply daily needs that are good to ask for. But there is, below that, under another layer, a deeper, more fundamental thing that Jesus is getting at in placing this, this admonition to prayer at this place in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, ask and it will be given to you. And when I read this for the first time, the first thing that jumped out to me was, number one, how many dumb things I've asked for throughout my life from God, right? Haven't we all done this? Been like... God, if you blank, then I'll blank. And it never works out, right? Things, things that are absolutely sinful at times, like, God, give me that girl, and I'm just going to stop there. Like, it gets real bad at times when we look at the Scripture and we expect God to be our cosmic bellhop, ushering down things that we think we need, right? That's not the God we serve. So as we're looking through this, we have to realize that, yes, it's, it's as simple as ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. There's a, there's a universal principle here that what you go after in life, you will get. 
what you make your life about will be what your life is about. But principled living is only useful in the context of the man Jesus. Right? Principled living isn't enough. You can't just buy this into this principle of ask and seek and knock and expect that it's going to change your life. It's much deeper than that. It's much more powerful than that. There's a man behind the message. So if we look at the context of where this occurs in the Sermon on the Mount, we'll see a truth that's going to blow us away. It blew me away. and It's, it's, it's given me a new hope for prayer, and I want to show that to you guys. You notice, in the context of Matthew, the kingdom of heaven is absolutely essential. Just the phrase kingdom of heaven occurs 32 times in the Gospel of Matthew. 32 times. It's all over the place. He also says several times, your heavenly Father. I think that's on one of these slides. He starts off with... Um, he starts off his ministry, Jesus does, with going about preaching the gospel, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. That seems like a pretty good start to a ministry. But he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom is the picture that he sets before us in the Sermon on the Mount. And he goes through, the next slide here shows you, I laid out on the Sermon on the Mount how many times heaven, kingdom of heaven, your, your father in heaven, how clear it is that this is about the kingdom of heaven. It's all over the place. Through all of the teaching, you see heavenly father, your heavenly father, your heavenly father, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. To us in 2012, we don't think in terms of kingdom too much, but the truths of this still apply. We are all living in a kingdom. We live in in one sense, in our own little kingdoms, building our own little subcultures and ways in which we live. And Christ comes and He proclaims the gospel, the good news of His kingdom. And He says, this is what my kingdom is about. My kingdom is about a place where anger does not rule the day. A place where divorce is not the best option when a marriage gets rocky. A place where lust does not dominate your thoughts. Imagine a community like that. Imagine a family like that where your husbands and your wives lived in that kind of a freedom. This is the kingdom that Jesus says He's inaugurating. And He comes and He, he gives us instructions about praying. And I think it's here that we begin to really see... Thank you. The... Um, we begin to really see the focus of what our passage today is about. He says in the Lord's Prayer, what does He say? He says, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. We see in that in and of itself a picture that when creation was made, when God's kingdom in heaven was sent to earth, what was meant to happen was a spreading of His image across all the globe in men. And His image was supposed to go all over the place. Filled with people that lived in freedom of... What happened to the bottom? Anyways. Oops. Sorry. Um, lived in the freedoms that he's, he's talking about. One of the beautiful things about the Sermon on the Mount is He starts with blessings. He doesn't come and present His kingdom and say, Now listen, here are all my rules that you need to follow. Rather, he starts with blessings. Before you come to Christ, he blesses you with himself. 
before you do anything for him, he comes to you and says, I've done everything for you. And that is what he's doing in this as well. So we see that when he says, ask and it will be given to you. What is the it? That's what I got hung up on. Like, Lord, I've asked for a lot of dumb things and it has not gotten me anywhere. What is it? What is it that I have to ask for that the promise you're making here will be given to me? Jesus is always going after the fundamental desires of our hearts. He's always going after the, the things that anchor our souls to something. And he's making it clear throughout his sermon that it's about his kingdom. He also moves on to say in the, in the section on judgment, he says, at the, or previous to the section on judgment, he talks about the anxieties of life. And you remember what he said in there? He said at the end, so, do not be anxious about your life or, what you, or the food or the clothing. And he goes on to the very end and he says, But seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. Now, that's monumental. It's like the whole sermon just turned on its head, and it's heading in a new direction. He's saying, My kingdom and my righteousness are the fundamental pieces of your soul. They're the fundamental things to which you cling. He's saying, if you want to be happy in life, pursue my kingdom and my righteousness. Better yet, your happiness isn't as important as my kingdom and my righteousness. And if you make your life about it, about my righteousness and my kingdom, you will be truly free. My righteousness. I tried to throw a joke in here. I'll see if it'll work. But, um, so, yeah, that's good. Y'all laugh now. Um, I'm not even going to do it now. Um, <laughs> the joke was righteousness, and I started thinking of 80s music, and righteous was like a word you use for 80s music. No, this didn't work out. Okay, so, but seriously, defining righteousness as a Christian is essential to understanding the gospel. And what we, what we realize when we press into what Jesus is talking about is that righteousness is truly what every person is after. If there is a good, heavenly Father who loves us, who wouldn't want to right standing with Him? Right? Who wouldn't want to be right with Him? From His hand falls all blessing and goodness. Who wouldn't want to be right with this guy? It seems like a really good idea, right? Righteousness is something that our culture has washed away. We don't, you don't need that. You just need to redefine your life by things. That'll work out better. But Jesus comes along and says, no, my righteousness is what you need. It's the fundamental thing to which we all cling. It's the fundamental thing to which we all seek and run after. This is the it of the passage. This is the thing to which we are to ask. At a fundamental level, what are you asking for in your prayers when you seek out the Lord? Is it His kingdom and His righteousness and His will? Or is it your own? I heard another pastor say that an authentic Christianity is, is when you stop living for your own will and you live for the will of God. When you, when you come to that place where your will is no longer binding you to your demands of God, you are truly free. And the righteousness of God begins to fill your life and your heart. This is the ask and it will be given to you. At the moment when he says, judge not, that you be not judged, 
Judgment is what we do when we are self-righteous, is it not? When we base our lives on how we compare to others. He's juxtaposing his righteousness with self-righteousness. You can either go your whole life boasting in what you have accomplished, boasting in what you have done, boasting in how you compare to other people, or you can go the route of his righteousness. It's void of earning. It's void of how good you are. This is the it that he's calling you to ask for. But you have to come to the place where you see it that way, where you see it as truly being bound in your own self-righteousness. And I, I believe that most all of us here who call themselves Christians truly do not live in self-righteousness. But for me, I lived in self-righteousness in such a way that the pendulum swing of it was just disastrous. At one moment, I'm completely prideful thinking that my level of repentance and Bible reading and self-discipline earned my way to God and kept me and maintained me up in heaven in His presence. And then when I got honest for a couple of days, I'd swing to the other side and despair and go, how in the world can I ever make it? Truly, I'm not good enough for this. The pendulum swing of pride and arrogance and self-righteousness is the idolatry of our hearts. It's what we constantly come back to to define ourselves. You see, he says in here, you being evil, you then who are evil, you are evil. That's tough to swallow. It's a real happy Sunday morning message, right? But what he's saying is the fundamental problem with all of us is that we want to justify ourselves by ourselves and not take the free gift of grace. The fundamental problem that non-Christians have as well as us, it's an even playing field, is that we are evil in our desire to self-justify, to be self-righteous. But the righteousness of God is being offered here. So ask. Ask for it and seek it. When he comes and he says, ask and it will be given to you, the promise is that the kingdom of heaven, if you want it, it's yours. That's simply. He's not going to force it on you. Ask and it's yours. Seek for it with all your heart and mind and soul and strength and it's yours. Knock and the door will be opened. What what we come to next is what ties it all together for community life. And it's another, it's another layer in which we can, we can really misuse this passage and not understand it. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. So that for this is the law and the prophets. So is a, uh, is a conjunction, I think, right? Yeah? Who knows? So is a big deal. So, in summing up everything I've said in the Sermon on the Mount, what I've said all in the past, so, whatever you wish others would do to you, do unto them. For this is the law and the prophets. For Jesus to sum up the law and the prophets to a Jewish audience who was reading this and was hearing this in Matthew's Gospel, that, that was a bad idea, Jesus. You don't sum up thousands of years of prophecy and teaching all the laws that we came up with to make sure we were good enough, you don't sum that up with one little line. So for Jesus to do this was offensive to them, 
but it should also be a sign to us that what are we giving to others? This is not a statement of like a be nice gospel and you'll go to heaven. This is not a be good enough gospel and you'll go to heaven. This is once you see your desperate need for God's righteousness and you don't want your selfish righteousness anymore, what else would you give to others? If I'm standing in my sin and I've bought my Lexus and i got my Beamer and I've got all the stuff that I'm defining myself with and I'm boasting in my how good I am in my job and I've got it together and I'm checking off a list better than you and you and you and you and you come to me as a brother, what's the best thing you could give me? The free gift of God's righteousness. The free gift of God's righteousness. So when you look at your brother and you see him boasting in anything but God, boasting in his accomplishments, you can, you can just, it's not an issue of arrogance. It's not that Christians are arrogant when they say that God is the only way. It's not that at all. Rather, we're on an even playing field with them because all of us want self-righteousness. All of us want to justify ourselves by how well we think we're doing. But he says, so do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. Give them the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's the, that's the message to go. That's the message of the kingdom. The good news about the kingdom is, son, you don't have to live any longer in justifying yourself by how good you are. You get a, the free gift of righteousness. God's righteousness is incomprehensible. A lot of people separate verse 12 from verse 13 and 14. and In my Bible, in the little paragraph deal, it's not separated. And I think different translators see it differently. Um, Some commentators see that these are directly connected. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. It's not wrong of God to say that He's the only way. That's that's the simple truth. He's the only one that's allowed to be self-righteous because righteousness flows from Him. Who else is He going to be about but Himself? He's God. He is everything. He is the Almighty. He put it all together. He is the one to which we look for our ultimate truth and meaning. So for us to say to our neighbor, listen, friend, the way is narrow. It's as narrow as one man. It's as narrow, it's as, narrow as his gospel. That's life. That's life to say that the gift is free. It's a blessing to give that kind of a gospel to people. So asking... And seeking and knocking. These are the promises that Jesus makes to us. I want to go back through and just notice some, some finer points about these three things. When we ask, it's obviously a thing of humility. You're expressing your need to God. You're making a request to God, not a demand. And this is a church that is obviously about prayer. And that's one of the reasons my wife and I have found our home here. It's a place that really believes that when we pray, we come before a heavenly Father. 
who gives good gifts. And that when we seek Him, He truly gives good gifts. Some of us, all of us, know fathers or have had fathers that have not been the best. Even us now as fathers, we know that we're not great fathers. There's ways in which we don't measure up. But when we come to our Heavenly Father, we must put aside those differences and we must really believe the truth of His Word. That when He says He's a good and perfect Father, that when you come knocking on that door, what's on the other side is a king who offers His righteousness for free. Not in judgment. Because when you boldly come in the name of Jesus, the judge judges you just. The judge judges you righteous. The judge judges you free. That's a good judge. That's a great judge. And that is our Heavenly Father. I want to close with the the way that Paul expounds on this in probably much more clarity. In Romans 3, I think it's the last slide. Romans 3.21 He says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness that in His divine forbearance He passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Obviously, righteousness of God is the central piece. Jesus Christ is the one to which we find all of our need for hope and compassion and comfort and security. One of the best definitions I've heard of sin isn't just that you break the commandments of God, That's really not it. That's not the heart of it. The heart of it is that you want to find your identity in anything but God. And what he says here is that when you find your identity in God's righteousness and what He has done for you, you're truly free. And the final question that Paul asks, then what becomes of our boasting? And he ends with, it is excluded. It's it's done for. When you truly see what Christ has done for you, your boasting disappears. It's over. I don't need to boast in what I've accomplished anymore. I don't need to find my identity in anything I've accomplished. And I don't need to compare myself to others, judging them to build myself up. I'm truly free when my boasting ends in myself and it lands squarely on Jesus Christ. Right? That's our boast. If you want to know where you sit with these things, with where your heart is, just ask yourself, what do you boast in? Fundamentally, what do you boast in? I'm not saying you can't take pleasure in family and good things and God's blessings. God's not saying that at all. But what is your fundamental boast? When the rug gets pulled out from under you, what do you turn to and say, that is enough for my comfort and my security and my approval. I look to that for my identity. 
For those in Christ, it is Him Himself. It is Jesus Christ, the man, the King of this kingdom. That is our joy. The one that has set us free. I want, that's, I want to use, uh, I think at the ends of the rows, there's, there's cards. Oh, they're outside. Outside rows. They're on the ends of the rows. If you all just take a card and, and pass them down. This is simply just for a time of reflection for yourself to, to take with you. There's a quote by John Trapp. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of him. But it says, if a man cannot pray, let him go out to sea. If you don't feel the need in your gut and in your soul to be a person of prayer, a person in need of the living God, take your soul out to sea. Don't compare yourself any longer to the people around you. Compare yourself to God. Go read Job. Think about the holiness of God. Take your soul out to sea and ask, can I make it compared to Him? It's obvious you can't. It's obvious. What is your boast? Just on your card, if you want to write down what your boast is. Be honest as a confession. Also, when you come, for those of you who are, who are struggling with the Heavenly Father and understanding who He is, when you come knocking on that door, who do you think is behind that door? Do you think a good, perfect Heavenly Father who only gives good gifts? If not, work, work on those things. Knowing Him as a perfect Heavenly Father who only gives good gifts, no matter how painful or uncertain things may seem, that is the place in which your prayer life will turn from nothing to everything. And for those of you who feel very secure in your identity in Christ and in your boasting in Him alone, I, I think Jesus is saying to us very clearly, so, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So right now, those in your life who are non-Christians, who don't boast in the cross of Christ, they boast in everything else, I want you to write their name down. And I want you to start to pray for them. Take them before the Heavenly Father. Knock on His door and say, Lord, I have John Smith, Jane Doe, and other names that you read off. Never mind. And the, these people I want to bring before you in your throne room, and I want you to give me the boldness and the courage to give them the righteousness and kingdom of God. Don't let me water it down with self-righteousness. And begin to pray for those people. I believe that when the people of God begin to pray for the non-Christians in their lives, life explodes. People come flooding in for the truth. And the, here's, here's the only requirement that if you wrote down a name, that when it happens, when you share the gospel with them, that you would share it with your community. Share it with your family. Share it with the church. Let us know when you see God show up in prayer. Let us know. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that that You are a, a good Father, that You are a perfect Father, that when we come before You, that You offer Your 
Your righteousness is a free gift. That we can put aside all of our self-righteous leanings, all the idolatries of our heart. We can put aside the boasting in our accomplishments and the boasting in the things we've done. And we come to You, the author and perfecter of our faith. And You give us a real joy. You justify us freely by Your grace. That is incomprehensible to our to our entire lives, to our souls, God. Would You open the eyes of our hearts that we might see what it means to literally possess the righteousness of God. God, I ask that as we go forth and we do unto others as You have done, as we would wish they would do unto us, that You would show up in every one of those lives and You would set the captives free. Your Word accomplishes everything it was meant to accomplish. In Jesus' name, amen. If there's anyone that wants to come forward with the things they wrote on their card, whether it's a, a boasting they don't they want to give to Jesus and they want prayer for that, or there's a specific person that you would like someone to pray with you for, you can come forward for that. If there's anything else that you need for prayer, um, please come forward. If there's anyone that specifically feels by lies things that are not true I would love to pray for you personally let us stand and ministry team y'all can